All right. Good morning, Cornerstone. Good morning, Cornerstone at Reardon Campus and all who may be live streaming. It's great to be here, and I'm so privileged to be a part of the RISE series. I guess Pastor Terry understood that a lot of what we're talking about in the book of Acts are about my peeps, you know? <laughs> Think about it. You could name the book the Acts of the First Jews for Jesus, right? People hear the name today and it says, well, you know, what is that? You know, it sounds like a contradiction in terms, like vegetarians for meat or something like that. <laughs> but in the beginning and where we are now in the book of Acts, it was all Jewish. And so Peter, James, John, uh, even Luke, you know, I mean, he was a doctor, right? So he had to be Jewish. but. Uh, Actually, there's a lot of evidence that he was, but the point is that in the beginning, it was a Jewish thing, a Jewish institution, the children of Israel, but what we see as we go through the book of Acts is that God is bringing this and exploding this community into a worldwide, diversified people of every tribe and tongue and nation, and that is so much fun for us to see. In fact, there's perhaps no more important passage than this one that gets us going in that direction. So if you open up your handout, we'll see the very first verse gives us this clue about understanding the Jewishness as the root that then gets blown up into this big thing that God wants to do all over the world. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So remember Jesus had said, go and wait, tarry in Jerusalem. And uh, we know that they were tarrying at this point and how long because of what Pentecost means. Some people think it's the denomination of a different kind of a church. But in reality, Pentecost is the name of one of three most important Jewish biblical feasts from the Old Testament. You all know about Passover, right, which is the story of God's deliverance of the Jewish people from bondage and slavery in Egypt so long ago. And uh, we know that that was fulfilled when Jesus, the Lamb of God, came and died for our sins. He brought the fulfillment of Passover in his own body so that we could have redemption, deliverance, and forgiveness of sin as well. Well, Pentecost is the same way. Pentecost means 50 days. And we read, for example, in Leviticus 23 in your handout, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later, then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. And so Pentecost actually literally in the Greek means 50 days. The Hebrew name for this festival is Shavuot, which is weeks or sevens. Seven times seven plus one equals 50. And that's when we celebrate this most important festival. And the very first time it was celebrated was the very same day that Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of stone. So God was giving the law his communication to us, and on the second Pentecost that we're just about to read and understand, the fulfillment, if you will, of the first Pentecost, God is going to write his law on our hearts 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's got it all planned out, and it's so cool to get it, to get to see it. And, and so I want you to imagine, because all the Jewish people weren't all living in Israel at the time, uh, they had to come from different places. Maybe you're one of them. Okay, we're, we're pilgrims. We're going to come and celebrate Pentecost because that's what God commanded, and we're fulfilling his command from Deuteronomy 16. And we've gotten to, you know, maybe we came from Syria, Jewish family, and we're camped outside of uh, the temple. We're waiting to go up to bring our offering up to the temple. You know, as an aside, I want to say I understand that most of our giving happens online, but in one way, I, I think that we, went, we miss something, don't we? Because in ancient Israel, offerings were always an act of worship. And even the passing of a plate sometimes can seem perfunctory or certainly hitting a key on our computer to give. But we need to recognize that offerings are important to God because they, they don't do so much for him. He doesn't need it. We need it. We need to present ourselves. We need to give our offerings. And that's what you do on Pentecost. You bring your offering. So here we are. We, we've made a long journey and we're sleeping. And the sun starts to come up. And the first thing that happens is one of the temple officials will come around to the various camps of pilgrims outside. And, and the one that comes to us says, rise and shine, Cornerstone, this is PT. It's time. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you haven't heard that, you got to hear it every day. It's, uh, it's a wonderful part of how Pastor Terry brings us together in ministry. But uh, no, what we hear is that the, this temple official say, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. And so you roll up your bed mat and you put it under your arm. You have your offering in, the, in this hand and you start going up toward the temple. And the temple was an amazing wonder of the world. But as you look up, you see all across the parapet of the temple priests. And they are welcoming you as well with a very different sound. The sound of the shofar, imagine a hundred of these going off, bouncing on the rocky Kidron Valley where you're walking toward. Aren't you glad PT doesn't blow one of those things in the morning? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it's a welcome to pilgrims who've come to present themselves to the Lord, and that's what Pentecost is, is all about. But it's also going to be a very unique Pentecost because it's not just any, it's the fulfillment of Pentecost. Let's read verse 2. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or, or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed 
How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. <laughs> what a misunderstanding of what was going on. There is an amazing experience where God is connecting then with the past. The giving of the law with the fulfillment of Pentecost, and you can see it in the special effects. Now, don't get me wrong, special effects are really important, and I think in the church, people have argued about what these are, you know, the mighty rushing wind, the flames of fire, and the speaking in tongues. What is this all about? To me, that argument is kind of like going to see this epic film, you know, and you see this film, and you walk out, and in the end, it's like you leave, and you've forgotten the plot, and you're just arguing about the special effects. Don't get me wrong, the special effects, the tongues, the flame, the wind, are important, but they're important because what they tell us about what God is doing. First of all, there's this mighty rushing wind. And, you know, I was just up at Mount Davidson a couple weeks ago, and you had one of those winds just blowing in from the Pacific, and those large trees were all like bending, thankfully not breaking, and they're just, but the sound of the wind going through those leaves was deafening. I couldn't even talk with the friend I was walking with because we couldn't hear each other, it was loud. I've heard that when people are kind of experiencing tornadoes, which our country is these days, a lot of, that sounds like a freight train. And what is this evocative of for the Jewish people there experiencing this in Acts chapter two? It's an evocative of what was happening back at Mount Sinai when God gave the law. If you go back and you read Exodus 19 and 20, there was an amazing sound that began like the sound of a shofar, but then it just got louder and louder and louder until Israel couldn't hear anything. It was like this mighty rushing wind, this freight train, this incredible, you can almost not hear yourself speak inside of your head. That's one of the special effects that God used to give the law and now God is telling the Jewish people in Jerusalem, hey, guess what? Something's happening here that's just as important as what happened at Mount Sinai. Now, the book of Exodus, chapter 19 and 20, gives us some indication. Uh, so, for example, about the flames of, of fire. You know, in Exodus 19, verse 8, it says, the Lord descended with fire on the mountain." And that's all it says. So use your imagination. What is that going to be? You know, the, the creator of the universe actually comes down in fire. Well, there are other pieces of Jewish literature that kind of 
either used their imagination or used other accounts of this event at Mount Sinai to tell us. One, for example, says the Holy One left with meteors and lightning and torches of fire, and the fire flew to the right and to the left and burst forth and flew through the air and circled around the camp of Israel. Now that's pretty dramatic. Another one says that it, it came and rested like diadems on the heads of all the children of Israel. Now these are extra-biblical sources, but I have no reason to doubt that this is exactly what was happening because, of course, God is doing something in Jerusalem now to remind the people of Israel. And David was aware of this, and when he talks about this experience in the Psalms, he says, the voice of the Lord divides the flame of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. So this was a powerful experience at Mount Sinai. And now there's this powerful experience in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, as recorded here in the book of Acts. Now think about this. We, look, we know from, X, uh, from uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 15, that there were 120 people in the upper room in Jerusalem. That was what? That was the followers of Jesus. But all of a sudden, now they become a new entity, a church. And to indicate that, Flames of fire. I can't imagine exactly what it looked like, but we can use our imagination. Now, if all of a sudden there was a flame of fire on my head, you'd say, wow, that's weird. Now there's 120. That's like a conflagration, right? The people in Jerusalem were freaking out. What's going on here? And they go running up, and they hear a third thing going on, and that is that these people who do not know their language are speaking their language. I don't know if the people speaking the language they'd never learned under, understood what they were saying. We don't know that. But the people who heard knew that they were saying and giving praise and thanks to God. It was a part of God's plan to absolutely bring language forward, to redeem language, if you will, to turn around and to reverse the curse of the Tower of Babel. You remember that story, the Tower of Babel? It's found in Genesis chapter 11. If you've never read it, I encourage you to go and read it because it's really kind of the Bible's explanation for how we got to where we are today. At the time, the scriptures tell us that everybody spoke the same language way back in the beginning. And there was pride, just as there is today in every human heart. And all these people got together and said, hey, God's up there, let's build a tower so we can be up there with him. And God looked down and said, you know what? This is not good. This is not going to be a good outcome. So I'm going to come down and I'm going to confuse all the languages. And people were not able to communicate to each other. Can you imagine if all of a sudden everybody else was speaking a different language, how that would make you feel? Ultimately, it produced a separation of peoples. They went different ways, developed different nations, different cultures, different languages. And that confusion exists to this very day, if you think about it, even for those who speak the same language. Try to get on social media and have a good communication, right? We have had 
communication really messed up because of the brokenness of this world. But now you see that God is saying in the book of Acts, in the fulfillment of Pentecost, I gave my law, now I'm writing it on your heart, and I'm starting to restore all things. I'm starting to bring people back together because you're going to be united in being able to give thanks and praise to God. This is all about people understanding context of what it means. Jesus said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. Last week, Pastor Lewis shared from Acts 1 where the promise of Jesus was, and you shall receive what? Power. And that's what we're seeing in these amazing accounts. These special effects are a demonstration of the greater power of receiving the Holy Spirit, of having the Spirit indwell the lives of all those who are the people of God, no longer just the Jewish nation, but this is a great time for a launch. You've got all these people from all these different places all around the world, and they're coming, and they're hearing the great things of God in their own language. They're going to become followers of Jesus, too, because the church, starting out on this birthday of the church, Pentecost, was 120 in that upper room. They were the ones that had the flames of fire on their head. But by the end of the story, and you'll have to wait till next week for this, the church is 3,120. That's a pretty good growth rate in one day. And then to realize that many of these people are now going to leave Pentecost, they're going to go back to their nations, bringing with them this amazing experience and the truth of what's happening. Now, People are not figuring it out right away. It takes a while. So we read then Peter, verse 14 in your handout. Then Peter stepped forward. Remember, people are saying, hey, you know, these people are just drunk. <laughs> when you don't know the Lord, it's really hard to figure out sometimes what God is doing. And that's to be understood. And there are people who looked at this amazing experience that was going on and said, these people are just drunk. They didn't get it. I remember there's a, there's a team of uh, our young staff in Jews for Jesus that every year they go into the Himalayan mountains because a lot of Israeli backpackers go there after they get out of the army because it's exotic, it's beautiful, it's cheap, and drugs proliferate. And uh, so our people go, of course, and they're sharing about Jesus, and people look at them and say, Man, you guys are high, but I don't see you smoking dope. What's going on? <laughs> and someone said, oh, we're just high on life. And another person said, no, we're high on God. That explains the joy. That explains the glow of God's presence. That explains, and is, is explained by the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is uh, now Peter explaining exactly what's going on. He stepped forward, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. As some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I'm glad Peter knew that. <laughs> no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes, from verse 17 through 22. This is from Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit 
Upon all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Now, that's exactly Peter is saying what's happening. The Holy Spirit is coming. He's falling on men and women alike. And it's amazing. And it's the last days. Yes, it's the beginning, you see, of the last days. Because Joel goes on to say what's yet to come. There's a now that's happened in Acts chapter 2. And there's a not yet that's going to happen when Jesus returns. And that's what this is. I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is the beginning of that salvation that is promised by Joel, but it's not the end. You see that? And so salvation is now available. Jesus died and rose again. In fact, that's what he goes on to say. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Think about that. This is God's plan for Jesus to be betrayed. See, God works in different ways. We don't necessarily understand, but he's always in charge. He knows what he's doing. And this was the most important one. With the help of lawless Gentiles, Peter says, you nailed Jesus to a cross and killed him. But... But God, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. That's the fulfillment of Passover, and he's going to go on to explain further how this is the fulfillment of Pentecost as well. An amazing thing that happened when Jesus came. He lived a, a, a human being, but a life of miracles, wonders. But then he was betrayed because that's what we do, we human beings. We betray and we are in states of brokenness. But Jesus knew that and that's why it was part of God's plan that he died. But he didn't stay dead because of who Jesus is, because he's the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the Savior of Jews and all nations. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. He rose again from the dead, and now that same resurrection power is available to all those who trust in him. And how does it come to us? Through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will send you a comforter. You will receive power. And this is a hinge of history, folks, right now. This is the moment when God gives birth to the church, this great, diverse, vast, far-reaching community that he established through the death of Jesus and his resurrection and through the power of the Holy Spirit that now indwells each and every one of us who know the Lord. What, What an incredible experience. What a wonderful community. The birthday of the church, Acts chapter 2. And then this restoration, this reversal 
of the curse is a demonstration that God ultimately intends to restore all things. He's going to do it. And he's going to do it through his church. And he's going to do it through the message that Peter is preaching that will change the lives of everyone who believe and welcome the Holy Spirit to make all the difference in the world. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to apply this to our lives? We're not in Jerusalem in the first century. We're in San Francisco or wherever we are in the world live streaming. But the message is just as relevant to us today as it was to those 120 who made up the first part of the church there. So let me just suggest a few things that we consider coming out of this narrative. And, and, and the first is just very that thing. Embrace the power of God's narrative. Think about how God has connected history all the way through. From Egypt to Jerusalem to San Francisco, God delivers us through the Passover lamb. From Pentecost at Mount Sinai to Pentecost in Jerusalem to the ability to experience Pentecost right here and now. That's a, a, a narrative that is so powerful and that we get to be a part of. Think of yourself as being connected to the people of God who were enslaved in Egypt and realize that there's an enslavement today that God wants to deliver us from. Think about yourself standing along with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai and receiving the word from God and know that he's given it for you, but now he can write it on your hearts through the Holy Spirit. Think about God's narrative. You know, we, we talk a lot about narrative in our postmodern world. You know, everybody's got one. Your narrative is as good as mine. And maybe if God didn't have a narrative, that could be true. But the fact is that this way of understanding the world, people call it a worldview, this way of seeing how I fit in and how I have purpose in my life and how I can make a difference in the world, why not take the worldview of the one who made the world? <laughs> That's the one that really does count. And when we embrace that narrative as our own, we get to stand at Mount Sinai. We get to understand deliverance from Egypt. We get to be a part of the people of God stretching from time past all the way into the future. So embrace God's narrative Second of all, embrace God's community. I mean, we have brothers and sisters that we haven't met yet. <laughs> because what God did in creating that community, it went from being a Jewish institution to being a universal institution, the most diverse and powerful tool for God to effect change in the world now and to bring the restoration of all things. That's what he's doing. And I know the church has gotten a bad rap and sometimes well-deserved, but the fact of the matter is, it's the bride of Messiah. It's God's people. It's a community that is flawed and fractured, but ultimately redeemed and given a message to share with the world. That's part of the story of Acts chapter 2. What were they doing? They were 
declaring the praises of God in languages they didn't even know. We have enough hard time declaring the praises of God in our own language we do know, but that's a good way to think about sharing your faith. You go out and uh, on one of those days when it's, the sun is shining in San Francisco, you can say, wow, isn't this a beautiful day? Isn't God great? And you're doing it. And God can use that to direct someone's mind who forgets about, who maybe because of their secular mindset doesn't remember that we live in a world that's been created by a God who loves us. And just that simple phrase can bring us into that experience that those first believers had here in Jerusalem. Declare the praises of God. Use your words to give thanks to him and and do so in the hearing of someone who needs to know about his narrative. And then thirdly, rise up cornerstone and experience the power of God's restoration. Remember we talked about the reversal of the curse of the Tower of Babel? The division of languages and, 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 and how communication is so important. And it, you read every business book in the world and they're going to say that's the biggest challenge you're going to have is having good communication, right? It's the, it's the human predicament. <laughs> but God wants to help us to communicate effectively and he wants to restore our ability to do that. And of course, the first way that happens is by receiving Jesus, by saying, yes, since he died and rose again, I too can experience that resurrection power. And that's something to consider if on your journey you haven't quite gotten there yet. Invite him to be the savior that he truly is for each and every one of us, no matter where we're from, no matter what's going on in our lives. But also, as followers of him, as part of this new community, the church, let's experience his restoration in our lives. I believe that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. But the word that's used here in Acts chapter 2 is fill. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And I remember when that happened to me. I, I assure you there was no tongue of fire on my head. <laughs> and uh, I didn't hear a sound of rushing wind. Actually, somebody had prayed for me. Uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I felt nothing. Okay, so, and my friend said, why don't you just uh, go down and spend some time in the basement with the Lord? And I went down there, and the only thing in this basement was a ping pong table. So I said, okay, I might as well just praise the Lord. And, and I started walking around this ping pong table slowly. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. I believe in you. I believe that I'm to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't make it happen. Lord, you need to do it. And what, as I was doing this, I, I only realized that afterwards I was walking faster and faster and faster around this ping pong table. And all of, I, the only thing I, I can explain to you is that I just I suddenly knew that I had been filled. It was like liquid love or joy, really, joy, that just kind of came and I knew something had happened. And I just, I started weeping. And then I went back upstairs and my friend was there and he, he said, it happened. 
He said, you're so full of joy. I guess it was very visible on my face. I don't know if it hasn't happened to you how it would because God works with different people different ways. But he calls on all of us who love Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, actually, Paul tells us we fulfill the law by walking in the Spirit. All that came to Israel at Sinai now can come to us through that fulfillment of Pentecost as we have the Spirit writing his word on our hearts and helping us to live lives of goodness and holiness. And it doesn't mean that we don't experience brokenness. Lord knows I have. And continue to struggle and have to be filled and refilled. The Holy Spirit is an endless supply of God's grace to those who receive him in this broken world. In our weakness, God is strong through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In our moments of despair, he becomes hope. Hope springs eternal through the power of the Holy Spirit. When there's confusion, <laughs> he's reversing this curse and clarity comes as the Holy Spirit bears witness in our lives that we are children of God. We have a great blessing, Cornerstone. We can rise up in power, <laughs> the power of the Holy Spirit, as we welcome him in, as we experience this great family that he's given us and, and the experience of understanding our lives in the story that belongs to him and seeing through the power of his restoring of all things the restoration in our own lives as well. What more could we want? The band's going to come and play. We're going to have our time of giving. But let me just pray the power of the Holy Spirit on all of us. Let's pray. Lord, your Holy Spirit, the representation on earth of you, almighty God, you have shed abroad in our hearts. And what a richness, what a, a loving, grace-filled experience it is. I confess, and I'm sure I'm not alone, that I live a lot of my life not experiencing all of that that you intend. And so I pray for myself and I pray for my, my family, my brothers and sisters in this community that you would come and, and fill us, Lord, afresh and anew by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would sense the restoration of all things as we enjoy the community that you've given to us to be a part of in this world that has a beginning and an end that you have declared because you're God, you're the creator, you're the redeemer, you're the savior. So come now, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.